Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Almighty God, our loving Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. We pray now that as we look at the Apostle Paul and his trial before Agrippa that we may understand something more of uh, the Lord Jesus and what he did for Paul and what he said to Paul. And we pray that you help us as we understand this passage to put it into practice in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who would you say, who would you say has it all? Uh, What about Kate Blanchett? Uh, She is beautiful. She's talented, incredibly wealthy, uh, happily married to a nice bloke, a bloke I went to school with, a couple of nice kids. She's loved and recognised all over the world. She has it all, doesn't she? Or what about Prince Frederick of Denmark? Uh, Heir to a kingdom that loves him, rich, powerful, influential, a nice one-headed Tasmanian wife, (laughs) a couple of nice kids. Who has it all? Maybe you'd like to be Ricky Ponting, especially this week. Or J.K. Rowling. Or Prince William. Or Bill Gates. Maybe you'd like to be a rock star. I love that ad on TV at the moment of the rock star in the back of the limousine. Uh, Whatever he wants, he gets. You know the ad I'm talking about? He wants a dwarf, he gets a dwarf. He wants an orangutan, he gets an orangutan. Whatever he wants, it's his. Who has it all? And what would it take? What would it take for you to have it all? We did some thinking about this in our Wednesday Bible study this week, and we've come up with a bit of a list. It goes something like this: We would like to be healthy, fit, slim, and beautiful. We'd like to have great talent, and to be uh, to be widely known and respected for our talent. Have our books published and, and, and popular, and so on. We'd like to have power and influence. We'd like to have a nice husband or wife or two. Some nice children. With some servants to look after the wives and children and do all of the housework. And then say, say five million, no, say five million dollars a year to keep us going. That's pretty much it. If we had that, we decided we'd have it all. What about you? At what point could you sit back and relax? At what point could you sit back and say, that's it, I've got it all? Maybe, maybe you're one of those people who thinks they do have it all already. I see before me tonight uh, lots of beautiful and talented and powerful and wealthy people. Really, we ought to have red carpet here for you to walk in on instead of blue carpet. Uh, maybe you've got everything you want already. <coughs> What do you think? Who has it all? Well, in Acts chapter 25, we're following the, the trials and tribulations of the Apostle Paul. He's, uh, he's in Caesarea now, you may remember, he's, and he's in prison. Uh, he was tried before the corrupt governor Felix, we saw that last week, then before governor Festus. And then, to avoid assassination, Paul finally appealed to Caesar. But the thing is, 
in all of these trials, none of the charges against Paul have stuck. And so Governor Festus, he still doesn't even know why he's got Paul in jail in the first place. He's he's about to send Paul off to Rome at the emperor's expense, and he doesn't even know what the charge is. Now in the next part of the story, King Agrippa shows up with his sister, Bernice. Now this uh, this Agrippa is the, the son of the King Agrippa back in Acts chapter 12 who murdered the Apostle James. Uh, you may also remember Felix's wife, Drusilla, from last week. Remember her? This is her, her brother and her sister. Agrippa, Agrippa was king of the area to the north of Judea. And uh, as a person with Jewish blood who'd grown up around Jerusalem with good Jewish connections, he was given a couple of other responsibilities as well. He, he was given responsibility for the temple, and he was also given responsibility for appointing the high priests. So he's a bloke who, who understands a bit about Judaism in Jerusalem. And so when he and his sister come to visit, Festus, well, he, he takes the chance to pick their brains about Paul. Let's have a look at uh, Acts chapter 25 and verse 13. This wasn't read, so let's, let's read through it in full. Acts 25 and verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I didn't delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa's keen to hear more, and so they convene a meeting. And the next day, Luke just gives us a a little glimpse, but it is a pretty impressive sight, what would have happened the next day. Agrippa and his sister, they show up in their... um, their royal purple robes, no doubt. Uh, um, Festus would have rocked up in his, uh, his, his scarlet governor's robes. Then you've got all the leading men of the city, all dressed to the nines, all trying to outdo each other, no doubt, in front of the king. And, and you've got the, uh, the leading officers of the army, and all their feathers and their, their, their full uniform. Here you've got the highest ranking people in the country. This is the, the, the who's who celebrities uh, all, all around gathered together in all of their finery. It is a picture of opulence and of power and of wealth and of status. And then dragged in as if by the cat, you've got Paul. Alone, in his prison clothes and in chains. Look at the scene, verse 23. Verse 23, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. How would you have felt if you were Paul, standing there on your own, surrounded by the most powerful people in the country? 
Festus outlines the situation. He formally requests Agrippa to help him specify the charges against Paul and then Agrippa gives Paul permission to speak. And the way Paul defends himself, what he does is he, he tells his own story. He starts off by talking about how he was a strict Jew. Chapter 26 and verse 2. Chapter 26 and verse 2. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Now, Paul was a strict Jew. And he says, I'm still a Jew. I'm not on trial for stopping being a Jew. I'm not on trial for giving up Judaism. I'm on trial because I believe the hope of Judaism has come to its fulfillment. The promised Messiah has come. God has demonstrated it by raising him from the dead. He says, it's not incredible that there's a resurrection. I'm here for the very hope of Judaism itself. Verse 6. And now, it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Well, Paul then goes on to talk about how he didn't always accept Christianity. In fact, he, originally he, he, he very actively and very violently and vehemently persecuted and opposed Christians. Verse 9. Verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus in Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. But then, says Paul, something, something happened. Something, something miraculous, something unique, something, something divine. He says, the Lord Jesus himself, the risen Lord Jesus himself appeared to me. The risen Lord Jesus said, stop persecuting me. The risen Lord Jesus made promises to me. I'll rescue you. The risen Lord Jesus had a job for me to do. Go, proclaim me to both Jews and Gentiles so that they may, they may receive the extraordinary benefits that I offer. That was the Lord Jesus, and that's what he said to Paul. Have a look, verse 12. On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief, chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
the Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The, the risen Lord Jesus himself appeared to Paul, now spoke those words to Paul, commissioned Paul to go and tell both Jews and Gentiles about him. And so, of course, Paul did what he was told. Of course, Paul did what he was told. He kept proclaiming that message. Repent, rely on Jesus, and, and, and then demonstrate your repentance in a changed life. Verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also, that's the non-Jews also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Now the key thing here is that Paul is going beyond Judaism to non-Jews, to Gentiles. But just, just let me turn aside for a moment and, and have a look there at the order of what Paul says. Did you notice it? Most people, think, most people think that being a Christian, is, it, it's about being a good person. But can you see, that's getting the, the cart before the horse. It's, get, it's getting it in the wrong order. It's faith in Jesus, verse 18, that means your sin's forgiven. It's faith in Jesus, verse 18, that means that you become part of God's holy people. Faith in Jesus is what makes someone a Christian. But if you are relying on Jesus, if you have submitted to him as king and you're relying on him... Well, that'll show up in the way you live. You will prove or demonstrate your repentance by your deeds. Verse 20. Can you see the order there? It's vital that we get that order straight in our minds because living a good life is not going to get anybody to heaven. I know that's what most people around here think. I know that's what just about everybody you speak to on the street thinks, that if they're good enough, they'll get to heaven. Not true. Faith in Jesus alone, Jesus alone, is the one who can bring us to heaven. Good deeds fit in afterwards. That's, it's the way you prove or demonstrate your faith. We live a good life because Jesus has saved us, not so that he will save us. You get the difference? We live a good life because Jesus has saved us, not so that he will save us. Okay, anyway. The important thing, Paul was sharing the message with both Jews and Gentiles. And that was dynamite because for Paul's fellow Jews, the idea that Gentiles could be Christian, could be accepted on an equal basis with them, that was, that was disgusting, that was shocking, that was, that was almost treason. And so that's what got him into trouble. And finally, if you've been following the case now since all the way back in chapter 20, was it 21? Uh, we, we finally get to the, the, the root cause. Finally, we work out exactly why it is that Paul has been in jail. For the first time, one of these accusers hears the, the fact that it's because Paul has taken the gospel out to the Gentiles. That's why they attacked him. That's why they tried to lynch him all those chapters ago back in Jerusalem. Verse 21. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But Paul says... God's helped me, 
So I keep on keeping on. I keep on telling everyone about Jesus. Verse 22, I've had God's help to this very day and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. And then Paul again says, what I'm saying fits in with what the scriptures say. The scriptures themselves predict that the Messiah will, 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 will suffer and rise again. The, the scriptures themselves predict that, that the light of the gospel will go beyond just Israel, out to all the nations. That's what's happened in Jesus, and it's what the scriptures said would happen. Verse 23. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Well, Festus, uh, here's what Paul says. He reckons he's gone mad, but Paul says no. He says this is, this is not madness. This is something that has, that has happened out in the open. Lots of eyewitnesses. In fact, he says, King Agrippa, you know all about this. And so Boulder's Brass, he actually challenges King Agrippa. Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa is Jewish enough to avoid the question with a counter-question. Verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And then Paul hits him with, with what I think is just a, a stunning, astonishing statement. P picture the scene again. Here's Paul. He is alone, dirty, in chains, no wealth no power, no nothing, and he's standing before the richest and most powerful people in the land. These people control whole nations. They've got as many slaves as they want to do their bidding. Paul is standing before, before people who can basically have whatever they want, like that rock star in the ad. They want a dwarf, they got a dwarf. They want an orangutan, they got an orangutan. From a human perspective, these people have got it all. And yet look at what Paul says to Agrippa. This is stunning. Verse 29. Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. That's the end of the session with Agrippa. Um, he realises Paul's done nothing that deserves death or jail. The fact is, though, he's appealed to Caesar and nobody's going to undermine Caesar's prerogative, so off he goes. And so we come to the next end of the next episode in this fascinating story. And again, we're seeing, for those who were here last week, Jesus is keeping his promise, isn't he? Paul's not going to die in Jerusalem. He's going to make it to Rome and he's going to testify. We're not there yet. We've still got adventures on the high sea. We've still got poisonous snakes to meet, all sorts of other things before we're going to get to Rome. But we know he's getting there, don't we? God is sovereign. I've got to say, though, that the thing that really strikes me about this story is what Paul says at the end there, where he prays that all those people could become what he is. 
I mean, how could Paul think like that? Why why would he rather be a Christian prisoner than a non-Christian king? Why why would he rather be a Christian with nothing than a non-Christian with everything? I think the key to the answer is in the words of Jesus. The words that Jesus spoke to Paul back in verse 18. Jump back with me to verse 18 and have a look. Uh, we, We read over it, but let's look at a bit more carefully what Jesus says to Paul. Uh, Jesus tells Paul he's sending him to both Jews and Gentiles. And there in verse 18 he says why. First, can you see, can you see it's to open their eyes. To open their eyes. Think about what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, if people have not put their faith in me, they are blind. They can't see the truth about God. They can't see the truth about life or death or eternity. But if they trust in me, says Jesus, their eyes are opened. That's not all. Can you see Jesus says then, Paul is to turn them from darkness to light. Do you get what that's saying? According to Jesus... If you have not relied on him, you are in darkness. The darkness of ignorance. The darkness of sin and of evil. But Jesus says, put your faith in him and you move into the light. You have understood the truth about God. All your sin and evil taken away, cleansed. Still not all. Next little bit, Jesus tells Paul to turn people from the power of Satan to God. Now, Satan, of course, is the devil. You might think that you're a free person. You might think that you're a free thinker or a free agent. I heard the other day that in Singapore, what they call atheists is free thinkers. You might think you're a free thinker. But Jesus disagrees with you. Jesus says you're under someone else's power. Either either you're a Christian under God's power or, or you're under the power of the devil. And that's still not all. Jesus says that the people Paul tells about him, the next little bit there, receive forgiveness of sins. Their slate wiped clean before God. No longer facing the anger and judgment and condemnation of God. Sins forgiven. And then there's one more thing there at the end of verse 18. If you rely on Jesus, he says, you can have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, if you rely on Jesus, you become part of his special holy people. That's what sanctified means, holy people. That's what Jesus said to Paul. Those are the results, he says, of trusting in me. And well, you, you look at that, and suddenly it makes sense, doesn't it, that scene with Paul in front of all those people. I mean, no wonder Paul could stand before the richest and most powerful and successful people in the land and say, I pray, God, that you may become what I am. 
Because what he has got, has, it's vastly greater than what they've got. They, they might have lots of stuff, but they are blind. They are in darkness. They are under the power of Satan. They are unforgiven. They are not part of God's people. Paul knows what's really going on. For the rest of eternity, these people, these people will wish beyond anything else that they could be him, that they could be what he is. They will wish they were Christians. And so that's his prayer for them. It's pretty striking, isn't it? Pretty striking. And do you know what? It's still true. It is still true today. If you are not a Christian here this evening, this passage has got serious implications for you. You might think you've got it all. Or you might think if I could just get some more money or something like if I could just find a life partner or something, then I would have it all. But according to Jesus, if you don't have him, you are blind. You're in darkness. You are under the power of Satan. You are unforgiven and not part of God's holy people. Your outlook could not be any more bleak. That's not my words. That's the words of Jesus to you. Please, can I encourage you? Don't just ignore this. Don't just ignore it. It doesn't matter how much stuff you've got. It doesn't matter how talented you are or rich or beautiful or happy. Without Jesus, things are not okay between you and God. And the day will soon come when you will wish more than anything else that you had relied on Jesus. You, you would so happily give up any of those things if only you could have had Jesus. Please, today, tonight, change your mind about Jesus. Accept him as your king. Rely on his death and resurrection. Ask to be taken from darkness to light, to, to have your sins forgiven. Ask him to open your eyes and, and give you a place among his people. He'll do it. But let me, let me conclude by, uh, by speaking to you. If you are trusting in Jesus, what if, what if you are trusting in Jesus here tonight? What if you already are a Christian? Well, can you see from this passage, in a very real sense, you, you have it all. Uh, to, you have, to, to quote my favourite theologian, Colin Buchanan, you have the greatest treasure in the whole wide world. And you know what? The day is soon coming when Kate Blanchett will wish she was you. Now, the day is soon coming when Prince Frederick and Princess Mary will wish they were you. The day is soon coming when Ricky Ponting would do anything. He would give up any of his double centuries to be you. The day is soon coming when J.K. Rowling will wish that you had written Harry Potter and were world famous and that she could be you. The day is soon coming when Prince William and Bill Gates and all the pagan rock stars, they'll wish they were you. For, for all they might have here and now, if they don't have Jesus, 
more than anything else, they will just want to be and just want to have what you have. If you're trusting in Jesus here tonight, you have got the thing most worth having. So can I encourage you, do value what you've got, won't you? Do treasure it. Appreciate it. Thank God for what you've got. I enjoy all of the good things that God gives you here and now, but, but, but keep them in their place. Learn, learn to be, here's the word, learn to be content. That's where it's really at, isn't it? Learn to be content. Because if you have Jesus, you have it all. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that according to the scriptures, he suffered on the cross in our place and rose again from the dead. We thank you that you have lifted him up as King and Saviour. We thank and praise you that when we trust in him, we can have our eyes opened, be taken from light to darkness, from the power of Satan to your power. We can have our sins forgiven and be made part of your special holy people. Our Father, we thank you for this extraordinary mercy towards us. We acknowledge us nothing that we deserve, but we thank you for this free gift that you offer us through the Lord Jesus. We pray for all who do not have this gift, that they will want it and will take it tonight. And we pray for those of us who do have this free gift from the Lord Jesus. Our Father, please help us to treasure and appreciate and, and, uh, and, and uh, really love what we have. And we ask you these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.